If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to Weekly, a new podcast show in which we recap the week on Eurogamer for you. We know you're busy, so don't worry, we've got your back. In half an hour, we'll whisk through the features and reviews, news and videos that stood out on the site this week. Joining me today is Eurogamer Editor-in-Chief Martin Robinson. Hi, Martin. Hello. And Features Editor, Christian Donlan. Hello. Hello. It's lovely to have you on the show with us. Um, what have your highlights been this week, in games or otherwise? Oh my God, have there been any highlights? It's been one of those weeks. Um, no, some, <laughs> some good stuff must have happened. There's been some good games. Um, I know we spoke about it briefly last week, but Songs of Conquest, um, yeah. I, which I picked up off the back of your, uh, of your piece um, this week, uh, which have is you just wonderful. I've attempted to play it on the Steam Deck and then realized it doesn't work very well on the Steam Deck because oh. I can't figure out how to right-click on the Steam Deck, right-click a mouse on the Steam Deck yet. But this is this is just, that's like that's not a slight on the game itself. That's a slight on me just being really stupid and not understanding how fundamentally PC games work, especially on Steam Deck. But um, like On our site, a lot of our criticism ends up with saying that's not a slight on the game, but that's a slight on me. <laughs> <laughs> we end up sort of critiquing ourselves more than the games a lot of the time and right rightly so i love but the yes. f- feedback in that um article lots of people saying you have me at heroes of might and magic clearly there's a lot of dormant love for that series which is which is bubbling up so uh, the songs of conquest team have have nailed it by the looks of things yeah um so I've, I've i've enjoyed um the menu screen and the opening map of that and i need to spend some more time with it over, uh, to, over the weekend but um it looks wonderful the menu and... screen is lovely um menu screens are that first impression in yeah. games that, that really get you and, and kind of settle you for for what's coming sorry to interrupt uh, no 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 it's a really good menu uh, and i've been playing um i can say it now actually because the embargo is not lifting for another hour and, and a half but this will be out after that i've been playing multiverses the, how is it um, so, like, I went in fully expecting to basically not, not, obviously, it's bad to go in with assumptions, and I'm a professional, so I wouldn't do that at all. Uh, but I might have gone in thinking, oh my God, what is this? It's just going to be really funny to go and see what an absolute state this thing is, um, because it's such a bizarre concept and um, quite a grim concept as well. So, I it's guess. like Smash Brothers, right? You said that I didn't. No, it's exactly like it's exactly like Smash Brothers. It's basically, um, it's Smash Brothers, but with the Warner Brothers IP. Um, I'm not sure. Actually, I, I hope the answer to this is no, but I'm not sure if anybody saw Space Jam, the new Space Jam. No. <laughs> no, no, definitely. There's a really weird bit in the new Space Jam where it's got a, uh, you know, the whole idea, it's just, just, it's similar to this, basically. It's like it's all Warner Brothers IP smashed into one. Um, and so there's a shot in the new Space Jam, which has uh, an Easter egg, which is the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange and uh, the Nun from Ken Russell's The Devils. <laughs> and they're both just showing up. And multiverses is a bit like that it's just this weird um okay if the droogs aren't in it yet and neither are any characters many ken russell films but it is does feel slightly strange because it does have um rick and morty like mr me seeks up against batman events against superman against someone from adventure time and against someone from um 
against Velma from Scooby-Doo. And it's just wow. like this tasteless clash of everything. But the actual game itself um, was actually like surprisingly good. Uh, it, it feels a bit distinct from Smash Brothers in that it's got an emphasis on cooperative and team play. And so there's a lot more. So it's like 2v2 as opposed to um, 4v4, uh, like a free-for-all. And there's systems that support that. And so you have proper support characters. You have a tether, which you can attach yourself to. So I guess playing with families is going to be a lot easier to play, basically, ah. because you can team up with people. Um, and having spent two hours with it, um, I actually quite liked it. And I'm looking forward to it, like being pushed out to some more people so I can play, spend some more time with it. Like It's, it's a free-to-play um, mashup of Smash Brothers with a lots of IP-used sometimes not in the best possible taste but the actual game itself is, is quite interesting um yeah so it, it was a pleasant surprise basically i'm tentatively excited now i, I wouldn't mean, go that far but yeah. Warner brothers cartoons is like the best ip secretly the best ip in the universe right like they're all just complete mar- like every bugs bunny cartoon every daffy duck they're just like the I would put those on Voyager if I was sending a new Voyager. Into space. No, 100% same here. But would you put Arya Stark in that co- in that world as well? Would you put a character <laughs> in Game of Thrones against Bugs Bunny? I mean, do you know what? I think part of the genius of Bugs Bunny is he would he would make it work. <laughs> <laughs> my my wife's first crush, her first serious crush with Bugs Bunny. And it's always, I've always sort of um, loved that. Sadly, she went on to marry Daffy Duck. So, you know, what are you going to do? Um, Christian, uh, what have your highlights been this week, if any? Um, I would say, I have to, like, this is awful, an awful answer. It's not an awful answer, it's just a very um, uh, predictable answer. But, but um, Mark Van Honecker, the guy who wrote Skyfaring, one of my favourite books, and I think I wrote about it for Eurogamer a while back. He's a pilot, he's a British Airways pilot and a beautiful writer, and he wrote this wonderful book called Skyfaring about uh, being a pilot and flying a 747 around the world. Um, and it's just a really good book if you want to read someone talk about their job when they really love their job. It's just mm. a really passionate b- book about someone who loves their job. And it happens that their job is super interesting and flying is very interesting. Um, he's just written his second book, which came out this week. Uh, it's called Imagine the City. And I'm about halfway through it and I'm absolutely adoring it. And he was um, it's much more of a memoir. In the first one, you learn, you get a sense of him, but you don't learn a lot of details about him. In this one, he tells you a lot more stuff and it's extremely moving. Um, and uh, yeah, I really I cannot recommend it enough. And I just come back to one thing he said in Skyfaring, which I continue to think about, is he was saying that like the thing that marks out a pilot's experience being different from other experiences, it's not it's not that they spend so much time in the air. It's that the amount of places on the ground that they can connect meaningfully to each other is mm. absolutely exploded because like he knows like Delhi and he knows like Moscow and you know you fly to sort of Saudi Arabia and Los Angeles and it all sort of comes together. You can put all these places in the world together. And wow. I read well, the first time I read that, I thought, do you know what? That's actually similar to playing games in that you, you, you know what it's like. You sort of slip into a memory of like, God, was that a game or was that real life? You know, especially when you go to the place. When you go to Tokyo, it's very hard not to, if you're in Shibuya, it's very hard not to be in a constant jet set radio flashback and you turn a corner and you're like, oh my God, that thing in jet set radio was actually real and here it is. And like, and that sense of being able to put all that stuff together, I think is really, I love that idea that sort of, we, this is something we share in common with pilots is that sense of a much expanded range of sort of places we can clip together. I bet Bugs Bunny would write a good memoir. Oh my God. Well, do you know what? <laughs> Can I just say, um, there is a wonderful, um, I think it's called Duck Amuck. The wonderful book by Chuck Jones is really brilliant. 
Um, and it's his memoir of working at Termite Terrace and all of the uh, stuff they got up to. And it includes, I think it includes the most heartbreaking story ever, which is when, so Warner Brothers, I will stop talking in a minute. Warner Brothers <laughs> had the, literally the greatest comic, like their their cartoons were so much better than everyone else's cartoons. And the, the reason you know they're better is they're still funny. They still feel so modern and contemporary. But um, Warner, I think it was Jack Warner or whoever ran Warner Brothers was at a party and someone said, oh, I like your cartoons. And Warner said, oh, yeah, we make Mickey Mouse, don't we? And they were like, no, you don't. Uh, that's Disney. And he was so annoyed that he didn't make Mickey Mouse. He went home and shut down the studio. <laughs> and that's how the <laughs> that's how the Warner Brothers studio allegedly originally closed. Um, and it's just a reminder that people in charge should often not be the people in charge. <laughs> wow. I knew you'd have an anecdote for that. As soon as I said Bugs Bunny should have written a memoir. Um, so let's get on to some quick site news this week um, before we get into it. <laughs> oh my God, it. So what does that mean? Uh, anyway, we've opened applications for our paid work experience program for ethnic minorities that begins this summer. So please send a CV and a cover letter to workexperience at eurogamer.net if you're interested. The more applications, uh, the better. Also, we've made a few changes to our guides team. Uh, the heroes of our website, um, and we've promoted Lottie Lynn to guides editor and welcomed a new writer, uh, Jessica Orr, to the team, which is great. Um, so let's get into the week. So the big talking point this week, which we'll go into a teeny bit of detail on, but not much because it's been discussed in detail in the newscast, is that the revamped PlayStation Plus service um, that's launching here next month on the 23rd of June, a little bit earlier in America, a little bit earlier, well, next week in Asia, um, they revealed most of the lineup that's coming uh, with that. Um, and it's now a bit like Games Pass, except not quite as good. Is that fair? Martin, you had some thoughts that you shared on the site this week. It just, uh, yeah, I think it was just the obvious point. It just felt a bit flat, basically. Um, after, because it's, it's been like months that there was rumors of Sony's Project Spartacus, which is quite, like, it felt like quite a high minded name for what was basically just like, here's two things we were already doing, we just smashed them together, and that's literally it. And I think we're, the expectations were probably a bit out of whack, which is, as is so often the case, is um, as much on us as it is yeah. on, on them because of where the people who kind of uh, are like, oh, is this going to be the Game Pass killer? Is this going to is this going to be just this incredible thing? And it turns out it's just PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus at a new combined price point and nothing more imaginative than that. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, I was I was hoping for a tiny bit more than that. Um, and obviously looking at the legacy of PlayStation as well, I would have hoped that the uh, some of the older titles might have been treated with a bit more respect and fanfare. But um, maybe that's coming. The service is launching on the 24th. I think it's next week in Japan it launches. And it doesn't roll out over here until um, mid-June. June, yeah. yeah, so there's there's time for there's time for all the snazzy stuff and for them to put a spotlight on the older games. Um, and to, yeah, uh, to, but obviously a lot of people point out as well, though, that people don't really pay this. People won't be subscribing for this to play Jumping Flash. <laughs> um, that's just, that's just, that's just me. Speak for yourself. But there are man. some good games there, right? Yeah, no, there's some fantastic stuff there as well. Obviously the, the, um, elephant in the room is the fact that games aren't coming, AAA games aren't coming day one, um, as they do on Game Pass. And that's a big point of differentiation. And it's a bit murky because it looks like, as it looks like basically doing a bit of, um, your own kind of theorizing and working back at what's enough and what's coming when it looks like there's basically a year window until um the big games hit so wow. something will come out of a new yeah, like a triple a game will come out and then 
this is the Sony's first party stuff. And this is just extrapolating from what we've seen, basically. It's not the policy as we understand it. And Sony is not being transparent about any of this. Um, it's just that's what it looks like from uh, what's on offer and in terms of when stuff is hitting that service. Well, I'm about a year behind, so that that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is <laughs> it's great. great. Um, it, it really makes me, it really wants... I really want Nintendo to kind of catch up and launch something. I know they've got like a classics thing that they do. They have. I'm again, again, this is the perspective of someone who's literally surrounded by Amiibos right now. But um, Nintendo Switch Online, actually, now it's bedded in. It's not that bad, you know. It's got the best games, probably. I would say that. But it's got so many perfect games on it. Like it's got Super Mario World and everything. You know, it's it's just. Sorry, cutting you off. No, no, I cut you off. Sorry, I started it. No, my um, hearing aids turn me into a monster, <laughs> and I can now hear everything really well, and it makes me keep thinking I can dive into conversations with this sort of scalpel um, precision I didn't have before. But um, <laughs> sorry, I cut you off. You, you were saying something much more interesting than I was. <laughs> well, no, I think just the, the thing with Nintendo Switch Online is you, you know exactly what it is, um, and as in you know exactly that it's a bit shit, but it's also only 20 quid or whatever, so it doesn't. it's not that bad. And for that, you get to play some switch games online with a fairly substandard online service um but also and you just get the you get the uh, nintendo switch online apps you get the mega drive one um which has got some amazing games in there it doesn't take up it's not that difficult to set up a um to download the japanese versions as well so you get much better cover art and it looks beautiful handled the emulation handled by m2 so you know it's all really good um and just that enough getting mega drive games snes games n64 games getting to play earthbound on your switch that's just enough for me to basically it's it's not much but you know exactly what it is and it's easy to communicate basically whereas the sony system is it's quite a lot there's three tiers it's all quite confusing um some of the stuff is streamable some of it isn't you don't know if games are coming when they get they're coming everything so there's a lot there but it doesn't feel as coherent uh, or as yeah, and so it's difficult to grasp in such an easy way as Nintendo Switch Online. That started off as a really bad sales pitch, and then it got turned into a really good sales pitch. <laughs> I'll That's take the that. Trick. That's the trick. Yeah. So, diving into some of the other um, headlines this week, um, the new Test Drive Unlimited game that I didn't even know existed, called Solar Crown, um, was delayed to 2023, and, and the old-gen console versions were cancelled, which I guess we can kind of expect from games what these was, days. What's it called? Solar Crown? Uh, yeah. Martin, is this going to be good? No, yes, it will be. It will be because it's um, being handled by, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's Keelatan doing it, who uh, came from sort of nowhere uh, in the mid 10s, I guess we call them 2014, 2015, made some quite unremarkable racing games. <laughs> and then um, got the WRC license off of Milestone. And actually did some okay things of it. Um, I think the momentum with that series did stall in recent years, um, as will always happen when you get a small team trying to churn out games annually. It soon becomes apparent that maybe it's not a best fit for small teams because of the yeah, the the, um, the improvement every year becomes smaller and smaller. Um, but anyway, they did do a good job with it and kind of gave Codemasters a run for their money and kind of proved themselves as actually a decent studio. And they've, I've, I've enjoyed their... Um, I've enjoyed the output on the racing, on the uh, four-wheel stuff, on the two-wheel stuff as well, the Isle of Man games. Um, and uh, yeah, and so it's just, they, they know what they're doing basically when it comes to automotive games. Uh, and the idea of them having almost a clean sheet of paper, well, not a clean sheet of paper because it's a, a sheet of paper which has been sketched on by some absolute mad lads who made the first <laughs> uh, two, two test drive games, which were like very 
a favourite of um, former editor-in-chief Ollie Welsh, who <laughs> absolutely adores them. Um, they are completely bonkers, like proper Euro trash uh, games. Like imagine Forza Horizon, but like presented by Jean-Paul Gaultier and <laughs> who's the other guy as well. And just uh, with just like, yeah, which is that slightly wonky 90s Channel 4 vibe to them. And uh, then you've got yeah. like Test Drive Unlimited. And with the, I remember like you could basically have, you could create your own living room that looked like it, every, you could create your own house as long as it ended up looking like Tiesto's house. <laughs> you know, like sort of, <laughs> white sort of segment sofas and stuff like that. It was, it was, uh, they were so charming, those games. Is it still, are the, the new developers, are they French or not? Because this is important. Yes. Oh, okay. Then it's fine. Good, good hands. It will be good. It will be good. Then. Yeah. Um, so Bohemia, um, who I'd sort of forgotten about, um, teased Armour 4, which I guess we, thought was maybe in development but it's quite nice to see that it is that that game's still got a really uh strong following and they've got some cold war military shooter called armor reforger which makes me want to sing armor survivor no and uh, it has i did i did feel sorry for them because now is not the time to be announcing the military sim i don't no, think sure. given the current yeah global climate um yeah sorry to bring it down a bit but um but also in it, it does actually I, I think we were quite kind of wary about it when we first got wind of it because it's like um it's a weird time to kind of play to that fantasy um yeah. but obviously a lot of games do and i think i didn't i the, the cold war setting does that help it's a bit, I, I, guess. I don't think so, but I mean, I no, it's interesting. You, you see, like, even um, we had this thing about because Advance Wars was meant to be out pretty much now, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I was yeah. talking to one of our freelancers and just going, like, just do not fancy it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it, it feels very weird, and it sort of reveals perhaps how weird even the most sort of um, sort of candied up of these games there is something weird there. I think they're brilliant, yeah, games. but we're like. We still did that on a, on a tangent, but I've like I've I've been playing a lot of Battlefield 2042 recently, mm. and um, as a sign of how glacial um, EA is in updating that game, you still play as Russian forces in that game, which is absolutely mind blowing to me that you actually are fighting under a Russian flag in a video game. Um, and I would have thought that would be the first thing you'd be like, should we just address that and maybe let's not do that? Not known for their nimbleness, are they EA? Sort of no. Um, <laughs> But, but back to armor, it's kind of it's hit early access, isn't it? I think on Xbox as well. Ah, I didn't realize. Um, and so uh, I think armor's never really made much of a play for the console space, and so I think there's um, some interest in how it's going to shape up because it's on Xbox has an early access program, so it's on there as well. Awesome. I also saw that Greedful, uh, that game that um, kind of came past and had nice ambitions, that's also getting a sequel, which I'm sort of surprised about, but um, I'm kind of happy about because it seems like that. I don't want to trash them here, but it seems like that double A kind of RPG. Um, they that's not trashing. That's the highest no, that's... praise you can. Yeah, that's the highest praise you can bestow on something. No higher praise. No higher uh, praise. Which I love to see. And more importantly, I saw that Dead by Daylight is getting a dating sim. I think people had had, had um, speculated about this game being real, and apparently it is real. So uh, Jason Voorhees is, you know, one of the uh, in this dating game, and it's. Um, it looks very over the top and quite fun, actually. I think they're pandering to, to that audience. Um, let's move on. Um, Digital Foundry this week. Here we go. This is where I pretend to understand. Um, Digital Foundry delivered the verdict on what's better for gaming and content creation, DDR5 or DDR4 RAM? Big question. And what is... Um, the answer is complicated, obviously. Um, DDR5 is more capable, but for the money you spend on it, you might as well stick to DDR4 and upgrade your processor, graphics card, or storage. 
Am I the only person who's hearing that as dance, dance, revolution? I'm hearing that as dance, dance, revolution as well. <laughs> and I'm like, I, and I'd be the kind of person you'd send down to Curry's to say, can you get me, uh, get me some like DDR5? And I'd come back with, with a dance mat. It's like, cause I, I just, I've got you sorted, Rich. Is this what you wanted? It's like, ah. So <laughs> the answer is, is instead of getting expensive DDR5, get yourself a dance mat and stick to DDR4. Have I told you, I've, I've told you this before, but I've never bored you about Groin Turismo and the, the, playing con, playing conventional games on a dance mat is one of the best things you can do. Because um, with Groin Turismo, you have to you you stay up, you, you like sit down in it, and you you like you excel, you have to get your legs like straddled out like that and to accelerate like that, and then you stay up your bum. Um, and it's it's really it's gen, Groin Turismo is fantastic. I think the, the term Groin Turismo might have been something from an old edge or something. But anyway, it's, it's I would highly recommend doing it. And you can play Tekken that way as well. And with the way inputs work in Tekken, to actually fight each other, you have to just kind of just stamp on the spot. Uh, yeah, dance mats are great. I'm Do glad I started these... talking about RAM now. Um, Eurogamer <laughs> founder Rupert Lohman used to have a, a metal dance mat um, when we were at school, and and one of those sort of like paper ones or whatever they were plastic ones that you rolled out as well but the metal one was was really cool anyway um <laughs> df also took we, a closer we, look at um yeah. at trek to yomi um that kind of side-scrolling uh, samurai game that black and white samurai game uh, which looks nice but doesn't play too nice in summary um over in video ian uh played resident evil village in vr and said it's incredible capital letters exclamation mark exclamation mark um he does a vr series where he plays all kinds of games in vr um they're modded vr i suggest you check it out because obviously they look really cool when you can see these um Lady Dimitrescu up close. Um, Ian was also playing Evil Dead the game, um, which, Christian, you've also been playing. Yeah, I did. I played it. I didn't play it. Um, I didn't play it for an enormous amount of time, but I played it. I was just really interested in how I really quite like Evil Dead. I like particularly like Evil Dead 2, which I think is a really interesting, lovely movie. Um, and actually very similar to sort of Warner Brothers. You know, I don't, I'm not particularly keen on horror, but that one, because it's so sort of Bugs Bunny-ish and sort of three, and, I know Sam Raimi's really into the Three Stooges and it's really a Three Stooges. It's even got Three Stooges jokes in it, basically. And this is um, a 4v1 game, is it? So, yeah, that's right. So so the game itself, I was just really interested in whether you could capture that particular horror series in a game because they're so the movies are so much like little big planet almost you know they're really sort of everything's really sort of cobbled together but really sort of sophisticated but really sort of handcrafted all of these jokes and sort of bits of business and sort of puppets and you know there's the my, the best bit in them is when he's trying to his 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 girlfriend's uh disembodied head has been clamped onto his hand <laughs> and he's trying to get rid of it and then her body comes into the room with like a chainsaw and you know it's really really sort of funny I mean, maybe it doesn't sound hilarious, but when you see it, it's really funny. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know if a horror game can kind of capture this. And for me, the main, it's a, it's a surprisingly sort of straightforward, quite good four by one, four against one horror game. Um, but it's it's sort of dully, comp- boringly competent. Um, not bo- that's unfair. It's really competent, but it's not, it didn't have much of a spark for me until I played as the 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 one against the four. So when you're the demon, you're essentially like being the director of a of a Evil Dead movie. So you're sort of running around this huge map and sort of planting things which are going to screw people up. And then you can possess people and sort of turn them against their teammates. And you can spawn monsters and you can play tricks on people. And it's really, you feel more like, less like Ash or anyone in this in the movie and more like Sam Raimi, sort of the director putting everything together. And I thought that was really lovely. I really liked that a lot. 
It sounds nice. And I was looking at Ian's uh, footage and it, it looks kind of nice too. I, I like that they have kept that kind of um, comedy of the series. They've understood. Yeah, I shouldn't have said boring and competent. It's, I mean, like, I think you've played as a four by one and you're playing as the four. It's a very competent um, survival horror. And if you like that kind of stuff, it's, it, you will really like it. But for me, it doesn't have the comedy of Evil Dead until you get to, until you play as the director, essentially. Yeah. Um, so also in video, we had um, Aoife is continuing her Evil Within run. Uh, she never checked that came out and she loves horror. So uh, do check that out. Um, if that's your cup of tea. And the whole team were playing a game called Midnight Ghost Hunt, which I've never heard of. Um, but Oh, it's meant to be wonderful. It's meant to be absolutely wonderful, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely huge for them, yeah. Um, in reviews, we had a game that we had taken our fancy, actually, a game called Soundful. Um, Ed Nightingale uh, looked at that. Um, it's a game where you kind of shoot and dodge uh, to the beat, but he... There's a few games that kind of do this, Metal Hellsinger and, and some other games, and, and he wasn't didn't sound like he was overly impressed with Soundfall. I think he really likes sort of the sort of the... I think it's one of those games it sounds like for the first 20 minutes, you're like, wow, this is amazingly great. And then I think he felt, he said to me that it didn't... He's read in his review that it just doesn't vary it enough. And it's because so much of music is sort of variation and improvisation. And sort of it's, it's about giving you the room to express yourself as well, yeah. which good music games do. Even like... Um, for like reverting to type going back to something like res as well which is on rails in more than in more than one sense in kind of uh how it lets you express yourself musically but also it just does it gives you just enough to do basically so you can actually feel like you're conducting and it's it's your tune basically as opposed to feeling like you're being as as opposed to having to just press the inputs to to play along to their tune basically it gives you just enough for you to have ownership of it and that makes it makes for a much better experience and i think from the sounds that this didn't quite have that balancing act just right. Yeah. Um, another game that we reviewed this week was Salt and Sacrifice. Uh, Heron reviewed that for us. Um, and it's much of what came before in the previous game, Salt and Sanctuary. It's kind of like a, a Souls-like game, but kind of side on. But it's got that kind of, it's got quite a nice art style, actually. Um, but it's got that tough uh, battle kind of mechanic where you're going to die and die a lot. And from the sounds of Hiran's review, it kind of overdoes that a little bit and it's, uh, it grinds you down a little bit. Um, in Features Land this week, we had um, Christian writing about the Evil Dead. Um, and we also had you, talking of games with comedy, and we had you remembering Shadow of Mordor, uh, oh, which yeah, yeah. brought Hilarity's Middle Earth, or as I like to call it, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings Orcs, the game. <laughs> it really is. Like, what, a wonderful, <laughs> what a wonderful game it is. It was great to sort of go back to it for sort of two or three hours. Um, it's one of those pieces I wish I had a bit longer. I'd, I'd, I, I wish I had a bit longer to write and I could have been a bit more careful with it. But um, it what an interesting, entertaining, hilarious game. I often wonder how I'd feel about those games if I was a serious Lord of the Rings person. Um, but I just think they're extremely funny and they have this incredible system in it where everything whenever you die the world sort of is shuffled the hierarchy of the world is shuffled around based on what you did and you know you're basically your death is promoting some orc you barely met into being some orc who's going to remember you the next time and he's got slightly more powerful um so it's a weird sort of orc tory party simulator <laughs> um, but it's 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 really charming it's so charming and for a game which is extremely derivative it has this wonderful um sense of its own identity uh, it's just a brilliant laugh it's so funny um i don't know enough about lord of the rings to know whether it's uh 
a great Lord of the Rings game, but it's just a great orc killing game. It's fantastic. The orcs are one. Going back to where we start. Oh yeah, no, the orcs are the yeah, the heart, they're the heart and soul. Um, but yeah, going back to where we started as well, I've been trying to get that to work in Steam Deck as well this week, so I can actually because oh, Steam Deck's like the best, an amazing double A machine for stuff. Not double A, it's not. You couldn't hardly call that double A because it's a huge, big budget proposition. But yeah, it's great for games like that. I think what's special. <laughs> um, about I also. Like... Took... Oh sorry, I was just going to say quickly what's special. No, go about on. Like... Um, is that it, you're, you, it doesn't have a beginning or an end, it really. I mean, it does. It has a cursory. It has the famous sort of press X to hug your wife when they're teaching you about killing people, which is a choice. But like, it, it's just you, you're thrown into a middle act that just never really ends. It's all middle act. And it feels like crackdown in that sense. It's just like you're doing the same thing over and over again. But because what you're doing is so brilliantly entertaining, it doesn't matter. Sorry, I didn't really need to cram a thought of that quality in. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Oh, I liked the, pre- the press X to hug your wife uh, thing. Yeah, um, so I got a chance to play a game called uh, Gibbon Beyond the Trees this week, which was a game I played a bit um, at the London Games Festival WASD. Um, it's a really simple game. Um, in it, you're a gibbon who, that swings. It's a side-on game and you, you kind of swing. You just hold the trigger down to swing and or the left trigger to, to run and you just release the triggers at the right time to kind of string together some kind of momentum, a kind of flow. And there's this nice... They have those really long arms where they and they're kind of bicycling them around, and uh, it has this nice kind of lolloping. You can hear the sound of like the hands grabbing the trees as they grab it, and it has this nice tempo to it. Um, and that's a sort of instinctive thing that you try to kind of chain together, being like a video game um, thing. You want it. You want to go as fast as possible. You want to um, move as smoothly as possible. And then the game. It, it's a game about deforestation, and uh, but it doesn't kind of preach in writing to you it just has this as kind of a backdrop in the game and you notice it most when this lovely lush kind of towering jungle that you start in where there's all kinds of branches to grab onto and you can go up and down and all around really easily they start pulling that away the trees get chopped down and burnt down and then there's suddenly nothing there to really grab onto and you're kind of stumbling along and it doesn't feel very nice and then they start to bring things in that you can grab onto but they're machines or they're buildings as you start sort of mingling um with with humanity and kind of urban scapes and all of a sudden you're you're kind of swinging along trees and they manage to tell their story that way that you're still moving but you're sort of adapting and it's never quite as good as when you started and they do things like kind of pulling away the sound to make it feel kind of dead and it it just does a nice way of getting a point across without kind of laboring that point or making it too overt. And it's only like an hour long. And it, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's nice to look at. I, I found it very sweet and, and quite evocative. Um, There's a lovely line in your, in your piece on it as well. I can't remember. I'm going to mangle the line, but it's like, it's harder to ignore the message, isn't it, when, when it's a mechanic rather than sort of a bit of storytelling. What's your actual line? Your line's so good. Yeah, it's uh, we can't um, uh, ignore a mechanic like a story. And I thought it did yeah. a good point there because if more games could tie the important things about their stories into mechanics, then, you know, we can't then push it aside and be like, you know, oh, I, I, I won't interact with that um, then. I thought it was a really um, 
nice fundamental way to kind of get a story across. Um, just quickly, um, before we go on, um, we also got a look at the new Saints Row game um, that's coming out. We got a chance to talk to the team. Ian's also got some footage of that. It sounds like Victoria talked to the team and, and looked at the game for us. And it sounds like it's wild. Um, and it's got all the customization options that you're used to, um, but maybe it's a bit scruffy. I think that's probably a good thing. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people actually quite like uh, scruffy is good, um, but yeah, uh, because you, you don't want those games to be too polished. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it is. There's still a way to go to the release. Actually, there's not that long to go to release at all, is there? It's in, within the next few months. <laughs> yeah. My favourite Saints Row story is the demo of the first one which had a cordoned off bit of the city you could run around and it had these invisible wall. No, not, no, it had these visible sort of laser walls which stopped you from sort of moving out of the bounds of the demo into the actual city. But if you parked a car up against the walls and then got out the other side of the car, you could actually then go and explore the entire city <laughs> and accidentally given the entire city away, even if not all the missions and stuff. That was a, that was a nice moment. <laughs> Fantastic. That's everything from us this week. Uh, thank you, Martin. Thank you. And thank you, Christian. Oh, thank you. And thanks everyone else uh, for listening. We'll be back uh, with more weekly. Join us then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.